turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, we'll be reading six verses. Our message this morning is titled, The Discipline and the Joy of Service. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions, when he had gone through those regions, and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sulpater of Berea, the son of Paris, from Berea, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Let us pray briefly once more. Lord, we ask that you might speak to our hearts this morning. Help your servant to bring helpful words from this example of your scripture. May this message be clear and encouraging, that we may be your children in all things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As you recall from our study the last few weeks in Acts chapter 18 and 19, Paul had been ministering in Ephesus. And in chapter 19, as Paul was about to leave the city of Ephesus, a riot, in a, a riot broke out and started with by the idol makers. Christianity had had such an impact in the city of Ephesus that the idol makers were losing money. Ephesus was on the southwest coast of Asia, which on the shore of the Aegean Sea. Paul was intending to go west-northwest across the Aegean to Macedonia to the city of Thessalonia, or Thessalonica, excuse me. And then from there, he would then journey south to Corinth again and would stay there for three months. And from there, he had intended to sail for Syria. According to verse 3, a plot was discovered that some Jews wanted to stop Paul. Paul became aware of it. Instead of taking boat passage, he went across land. He traveled back north backtracked part of the way and stayed at Philippi until after Passover and then sailed with some companions on to Troas where he joined up with his, may I use the word posse? What do we do with this information? If you're a bit of a nerd, you might find it interesting or fascinating to examine Paul's journey on the map. Many have already done that. 
Others might wonder about the names of these disciples, Sopater, Secundus, Gaius, Tychius, Trophimus. We don't much know much about them. Sopater was the son of someone else in this group. The name Sopater means savior of his father. We don't know how he saved his father, just that that is his name. The name Tychius means faithful. I had to do a double, double take for the name, meaning of the name Trophimus, nutritious. I checked several different references and found it, it literally means nutritious. I kind of scratched my head. Maybe he was from South Arabia where down there the father was, well, honey, have you come up with a name for our son yet? Well, I just don't know. He's just so beautiful I could eat him up. Ah, nutritious. But both Tychius and Trophimus are mentioned later by Paul about bringing a collection of help to Jerusalem. Can we get anything out of this text? I think we can. After the uproar ceased, as the chapter begins, Paul sent for, his, for the disciples and after encouraging them. Now, as you have noticed, it's a small detail, but it's important enough. Paul had a very successful ministry, and he was drawing a lot of people to the Lord Jesus Christ, leading a lot of people, and he had many disciples. People who would follow him, following the teaching of the Lord. He was a good discipler. And in order to be a good discipler, you've got to be a good teacher. And you've got to be a bit of an encourager. In Acts 14.21 is another example of Paul doing that very thing. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now that word encouraging comes from a very same word, paraclete. It is the same word that is used to describe the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. It literally means come alongside. Now we can encourage, our word for encourage is, is give somebody some words that kind of cheer them up. When they're down, talk to them, to encourage them, to make them, help them to press on, but the Greek word for come alongside is you help them. You not, to, not only encourage them, but you walk with them. You, there are times when you would suffer with them. You would understand their pain or their trouble or their trial, and you would help them. You would be there with them. That's the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does for the Christian believer. That's the kind of work that Paul did for his disciples. It wasn't just giving them a cheering squad or just instructions but he would help them. There used to be an old adage, some of you may know it, if someone is going to teach, that 
teacher needs to teach or tell the students what they need to know. Then he needs to tell them what they need to do. Then he needs to show them what they need to do. Then he needs to get them to do it on their own while he does it with them. Let's do this together. And then he needs to stand by as he lets them do it on their own, and then they get to do it on their own. That's what a good discipler does. That's what a good teacher does. That's what a good encourager does. And that's what Paul did. So as we look at our text this morning, there's four points I would like to examine. Discipline is good practice. Discipline should always be expected. Disciplined leaders should encourage disciplined disciples. And disciplined disciples should encourage faithful leaders. Kind of comes back around in full circle. Now, the word discipline is one of those words with a high pew squirm quotient. Whenever I talk about discipline, a lot of people don't, I'm not quite so sure we don't like discipline because particularly in my generation, discipline made it very tender to sit down sometimes. But discipline is necessary for us all. And when preachers talk about discipline, they mean to talk about correction. Hard work in your Christian faith. And you've got to be honest, you know that it's necessary. But we don't always like to talk about discipline. We are all products of discipline to one degree or another. None of us, none of us are disciplined enough. As youngsters, we are taught self-discipline. We, we are subject ourselves to training as our parents teach us to practice new habits as we grow. How to brush our teeth, how to wash our face and hands, how to wash everything whenever it's necessary. How to want to do those things and why we should want to do those things how to do our homework, how to study for school, how to prepare for the day, how to prepare for... These are all disciplines, and we think that they're all everyday parts of life just to get along, but it's discipline. In order to do those things well, we must discipline ourselves. And we've done it so much, and as our parents taught us, they were doing it with us, so it didn't hurt so much. We didn't consider it discipline. We just considered it learning. So self-discipline, we subject ourselves to training in order that we might deliberately practice new habits. We did it as children with our parents and with our school teachers. Sometimes we do self-discipline on our own behalf, by our own energy, by our own choice, because we learn, want to learn a new trade or study a new subject, returning to school, or perhaps even preparing for ministry. Self-discipline helps us work through the day in order to get things done. There is also 
prepared. There's also a discipline that make, helps us prepare or equips us for service, and that's when we submit ourselves to training. They're very closely related. But when we submit ourselves to training, we need to understand that it's part of discipline. Discipline is good practice. The Apostle Paul was extremely, extremely prepared for what God called him to do. Paul, you could say, was a disciplined man. He was educated in Old Testament scripture. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher. He was qualified to teach. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Greek. He spoke Aramaic. And since he was a Roman citizen, he, was probably, he probably spoke Latin as well. Four languages. How many can you speak? Paul was self-disciplined. He had subjected himself to teachers in order to get training and education as he grew. And even beyond that, as he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he subjected himself to his Savior, to his Lord, to his King. 1 Corinthians 9 the Apostle Paul was talking or writing to the church at Corinth, Do you not know that in the race all, all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul saw that self-discipline was important. He did not want to do anything to bring dishonor to the Lord, so he disciplined himself, not just his habits, but how he treated his own body. We, too, should not avoid discipline. In fact, we should embrace it. We should pursue it. The disciples who followed Paul were doing that very thing. They wanted to learn about their Lord and Savior, and Paul was helping them find that path. We, as disciples of the Lord, should be doing that same, to love the Lord and discipline ourselves to find him and know him more deeply. You're all familiar with Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, there's discipline, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, that's discipline, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, that's discipline. Lay, lay aside the sin, the weight that holds us down, and let us run. It's not just setting aside, it's, it's repenting and moving toward him. It takes discipline. Discipline is good practice. Discipline should always be expected. There is a, an attitude in our lives that we should understand that discipline is important. We should pursue it. We should embrace it. 
but we should also expect it because sometimes it comes from our Lord through providence, through the things in our lives. Good habits of self-discipline brings order in life. We are disciplined by our parents and by our teachers, by our employers. Why should we expect discipline from anyone else? For the Christian, discipline very often comes from our Lord. Through our teachers, through our lives, through the trials that he brings us in order that we might be refined and changed and renewed. Deuteronomy 8.5, know in your heart that a man, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. Disciple, the Lord disciplines you because you're his child. Because he loves you. He has called you for his glory. That is his purpose. That becomes your purpose, so you are called to give him glory with your life. Again, from Hebrews 12. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God. God is treating you as sons for what? Son is there whom his father does not discipline. You belong to him. When something frightening happens in your life or when something difficult happens in your life, when something painful happens in your life, he is not surprised. He's chosen you to receive it, to endure it. Deal with it. Embrace it. Roll with the punch. We are disciplined by God in order that we become like his son. We learned discipline of personal hygiene, table manners, basic behavior, and to be in public from our parents. Christianity requires so much more. The discipline that the Lord brings us becomes something inward. We need to discipline the heart and the mind in order that we put out all of the idols, all of the temptations because we must fear what God might do to those who do not repent, those who do not embrace the discipline. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Revelation 21. 
We are disciplined by God in order that we might become like his son. Because if we are not disciplined, we do not belong to him. We are disciplined by his word. When we read it, when we hear it preached and taught, it corrects us or shows us how to be corrected. We should follow that wisdom. We are disciplined by the Holy Spirit, the one who is always with us, the one who does come alongside to encourage, instruct, and help. And there are disciplines that come with the task of faithfulness. Or, in other words, there are practices that come with the task of faithfulness. If you want to be faithful to God, if you want to demonstrate, have I said it a hundred times yet, discipline. If you, want to, if you want to demonstrate the discipline in your life, then begin to be obedient. Do the very things the Word of God instructs you to do. Sharing the gospel is exciting. Share it anyway. Sharing the gospel is difficult. Share it anyway. Sharing the gospel can sometimes be frightening. Share it anyway. And sharing the gospel properly is something that's not in favor these days because to share the gospel properly, you have to remind people that they are sinners. And people don't like to hear that. Second Timothy 4.3, the Bible says that time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. We are living in that day and age. People want to hear words of encouragement. People want to hear words of affirmation. People want to hear words of inclusiveness. They don't want to hear about their sin. But if you're going to receive any grace or any mercy from God, you must acknowledge yourselves humbly before him, a sinner in need of his grace. And that is part of the gospel. Getting people to acknowledge their sins in order that they might turn, repent, and receive Christ as Savior. And that can be difficult and very often is for those who are faithful because... People don't like it, and they will reject it. And they will reject you. In the Lord's very first sermon, in Matthew 5, he said, I'm going to give you full disclosure. I'm not here selling you any kind of vacuum cleaner or any kind of deal. I'm going to give you full disclosure to let you know up front Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. People will persecute you. 
I want you to rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets. They will also persecute you. God told his followers right up front, they're not going to like my message, and if you say what I tell you to, if you teach what I teach you to, they're not going to like your message either. And it is the same thing 2,000 years later. But how are we to respond? It's going to take some discipline because your first response is to, I'm done with this, I'm out of here. You don't want to hear the gospel, I'm not going to share it. You're going to reject the gospel, I won't even waste my time. But it takes discipline to respond according to the Lord. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. John 15, 20, the Lord said, Remember my, the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Blessed, James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under discipline. And again, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 said, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Discipline is a good practice. Discipline should always be expected. And disciplined leaders should encourage disciplined disciples. In verse 2 of Acts 20, when Paul had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, if you've studied Acts with us the whole way through, you've seen several times where the Apostle Paul seemed to enjoy encouraging his, his disciples, enjoyed encouraging the churches. He made several visits to each of the churches he planted on his missionary journeys in order to see how they were doing and encourage them and fellowship with them and, and teach them further. Paul was a preacher. He was a teacher. We Presbyterians would call that a teaching elder. And he is an exa excellent example to follow. He was faithful in his preaching, and he encouraged all who listened and followed him. We need to do the same. But 
Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. If we are to discipline our lives in such a way that it, we don't even, shouldn't even think of it as discipline. When you were a youngster, just a little thing, running around, particularly if you were a boy, you loved getting dirty and you didn't think baths were that necessary, but now you enjoy them. You look forward to them. We should be the same way about our Christian faith. Things that when we first got saved, we were learning how to do. This is hard. We wondered, why are they necessary? But as you grow and mature and apply yourself to the Word and to your Lord and to discipline, you get to the place where I didn't think daily devotions was very necessary when I was a young Christian, but now I look forward to them and I miss it when I miss even one day. Get to where you hunger and enjoy the disciplines of the Lord in order that you may love him dearly and love others as he loves us. Romans twelve sixteen. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. If you're living that way before the Lord, you're going to look like him. You're going to behave like him. Disciplined leaders should encourage disciplined disciples, and disciplined disciples should encourage faithful leaders. 1 Peter 5, I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not for domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is Peter's exhortation, his instruction to the leaders of the church in his day and to the leaders of the church of this day that you are to shepherd the flock of God. Not as overbearing rulers, but as shepherds. Love your flock. Encourage them, nurture them, pray for them, care for them. That's what, that's the discipline that leaders should follow. Here's the discipline that disciples should follow. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
casting all your care on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Takes discipline. Resist him, firm in faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the And I know this would be true among a lot of pastors. One of the things that makes a pastor's heart sing and dance, even for a Presbyterian, is to see the people in this congregation being faithful and growing and reaching out. One of the things that makes the heart break is to see someone who is disobedient and then just not here and then quietly slipping away into darkness. There have been times in my ministry when I have counseled people who have done some things that they should not have done and instead of repenting and correcting, they just go find another church where they can keep on doing what they were doing and still be a church member somewhere. That's not embracing the discipline of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's making provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. God does not honor that, and he will not honor the church that allows that. The Apostle Paul with his disciples, whom he had found in Ephesus and elsewhere, encouraged them, disciplined them, taught them, taught them how to expect discipline in our lives, how to embrace it. He taught the leaders. Many of them did become leaders in the church in respect to churches around. He taught the leaders to encourage those they discipled. And he and the Apostle Peter also teach the flock to encourage their faithful leaders. Listen to what they tell you. Listen to what they teach you. And you're not being obedient to them. You're being obedient to the Lord. If, if pastors and teachers whom you follow are teaching you the truth, follow the truth. Don't get sidetracked. Or lured, or lured away by personalities. Follow the truth. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, we are thankful for your word and its power in our lives, and we pray that as we follow you, that we may be faithful to embrace discipline, to embrace your hand at work in our lives, that we may be faithful to do all things for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.